Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I've always wanted to inject as much wrestling as possible into all my sports content. And now the Blue Jays have allowed us to do that. Almost scrapping it out with the Baltimore Orioles. Lots of drama. Lots of nonsense. Just like the pro wrestling world right now, actually. Alec Manoa left us with the lasting image last night of him just staring out menacingly at the Orioles celebrating that win. Manoa will take the hill tonight. The Jays lost last night, though. 9-6. Not not the greatest of games. Uh, Another tough one for Mitch White. Couple interesting, we'll say, bullpen decisions. Some missed opportunities on offense. And again, a whole lot of nonsense. An ump show, a manager ejection, a pull-apart situation. We need help to break all that down. So we're going to have Zachary Silver of MLB.com and Orioles.com on the show a little bit later to get the Orioles side of things. Hopefully he won't uh, just blindly defend them and he'll out Brian Baker as the criminal he is. But we'll talk to him a little bit later. And hey, congratulations. Asia Wilson just got announced as the MVP, WNBA MVP winner. Sweet. (laughs) Don't know if I need that alert right as my show started, but alerts are what they are and sometimes you think they're going to be Big ones. Um, so the Jays lose that one. A lot of drama. Had to tag in Ben Nicholson-Smith of At The Letters, of Sportsnet.ca, the MLB editor at Sportsnet.ca, actually, as I just found out. Uh, ben, you've been scarce around these parts the last little bit. You, you Things are heating up and you're getting scared? You, you don't want to be down around the, <laughs> the dramatic games? Well, you know what? It was a great one last night. And yes, I have been scarce, taking a little breather. I like to think of it as my own personal phantom IL. Um, stint before uh, before the playoffs and before the the push really begins. But uh, yeah, what better way to get back into it than this series with the Orioles? And it's been it's been really interesting to see, especially I mean, last night there's so much to get to in that game, um, as I'm sure we'll do here in the course of the next little bit. Yeah, uh, what'd you do with the week off though? You feeling good? You feeling refreshed? Feeling refreshed? Yeah, didn't uh, you know? I I think any sort of like larger scale getaways uh you know those those probably wait until the off season but at least you know decompress a little bit get some runs in and uh, a little bit less screen time which is which is probably a good thing that's a huge one uh also the way you said get some runs in i was uh i was uh immediately like what is scoring runs but you mean <laughs> physical exercise yes. which is uh, Dogs. sometimes i forget something that's something we're allowed to do in this industry um as i continue to uh Add on a little insulation. Uh, we have another alert. This is why you keep your alerts on. Sometimes it's Asia Wilson, and it's a bit of a, a bait and switch. Sometimes you find out Zach Collins has been claimed off waivers by the Pittsburgh Pirates. How about that? They like those former Jays catchers. They do. And I actually, I made, it wasn't even a joke really, but I said yesterday or whichever day Collins got DFA'd, Monday, I guess, um, that it doesn't seem like a, something that you'd be at risk of another team claiming, but neither did Tyler Heineman, and he has started the most games of any Pirates catcher this year. That is wild. Yeah, that Heineman has done that much. I mean, Collins, you can see the appeal. I think for the Jays, clearly he just didn't offer enough defensively. So Moreno's that next layer, should they need someone. Yeah, I think, and, and that was probably clear anyway, but that more or less locks it in. Were you a little surprised, though, even still, like catcher is kind of the position it feels most important to have hot, like ready to be called up org depth. I, I know the Tyler Heinemans of the world are 
often available. But we also saw the Jays like receive a, a guy who was a bad independent league catcher a year ago as the player to be named later in that Miami trade. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, it surprised me a little bit when the other position players on your 40 man are just like an army of utility infielders. Right. You know, Vinny Capra is not necessarily someone that you foresee having a huge impact on this Blue Jays season, right? Um, you know, you can look um, to, yeah, he's he's listed as a DH on their 40-man roster. <laughs> Otto, Otto Lopez is a prospect, so you're not going to DFA him. But, yeah. um, you know, certainly there are, there are ways around that, and yet Zach Collins was never going to be long for, you know, you probably wouldn't have made it through the offseason anyways, so yeah. at this point, you make the move a few weeks early. Yeah, I, I, I actually thought prior to the Bradley Zimmer claim that Zach Collins was an option for the extra spot that you have with expanded rosters just because of the flexibility it gives you with Jansen and Kirk. Um, and then also because, you know, it's just seemed for a while like Gabriel Moreno is going to get that time down at AAA until that season ends on the 28th. Or, I mean, if they complete this playoff push they're in the middle of right now, maybe it extends a little longer. Yeah. Zach Collins, though, uh, by the way, if you had been tracking his AAA performance, uh, uh, unsightly, not not great. He hit 195 down there. Uh, he did slug 398. It's just too much swing and miss. Yeah. Uh, 21% walk rate, though. That's Juan Soto-esque. Yeah, that's, uh, there's no one else that hits for a lot of power in this lineup, so why pitch to you, especially because you'll swing at a lot of outside-the-zone stuff. Juan Soto, by the way, 20.5% walk rate that I, I think, and the next closest is like 15. Juan Soto just walking way, way more than anyone else in baseball. Huh. That's not terribly surprising. Um, speaking of catchers and walks and things something to track down the stretch here is that Alejandro Kirk still has more walks than strikeouts that has not been done by a catcher that young over the last 40 years except for Joe Maurer wow great company yeah it's pretty good if, if you're anytime you're in a sentence with Joe Maurer you're you're doing all right um, we'll close out the catcher discussion here by just, I, I just brought up the the Pirates um, catching depth chart from this year. What a, what a list. So Tyler Heineman's played the most at 36 games. They've, they've gone through seven catchers. That's their leader is 36 yes. games. Michael Perez, Jason DeLay, Roberto Perez, Andrew Knapp, Josh Godoy, and Josh Van Meter. Yes, that is that is a combination that tells you exactly where the Pirates are already like 30 games under 500. Yes, and uh, luckily the Jays swept them because if we were reading out these stats and they were claiming Zach Collins and the Jays had just won one of three or even two of three, I think people would be having a little bit of a meltdown. So let's turn the page then to what the Jays are doing right now. The Zach Collins era is over. Pour one out. Last night was chaotic uh the jays lose their five game winning streak they'd won 14 of 19 and 11 of 12 on the road you're gonna lose some games even when you're hot um before we get into some of the nonsense stuff though what did you think of the game in general because even if you take out the ump show and the brian baker stuff i kind of thought it was just an odd game from the blue jays side well yeah i, I agree with that i think what stands out to me from that game aside from the emotions, and obviously it was a very emotional game for a lot of different reasons with, with Jeff Nelson and, and with Brian Baker, 
um, both of whom have some amount of history with the Blue Jays at this point. But even if you strip that away, you look at the results and the way that they got there. And to me, what stands out from this game is just a lack of pitching. And this is where I, I think, you know, if you're relying on Mitch White, who clearly is not having the kind of uh, second half, uh, the kind of stretch run that the Blue Jays hoped for when they acquired him, then you put Kikuchi in leverage. Then you bring in Trevor Richards, and yes, he's been better, but he walks a couple batters um, in high leverage once again. And, and so you're left after that game kind of looking at how they got to where they got. And to me, this is a game where if they had more pitching, they wouldn't have been in that spot. Maybe there would have been a couple occasions where they, they would have found ways to keep runs off the board. So that's my takeaway. I think, you know, we said it at the trade deadline that this it felt a bit light when it came to what the Blue Jays added pitching-wise. And this is one of those games where that's reinforced in my view. Yeah, and, you know, heading into that one, it even seemed like an okay spot to not get a ton from your starter because Romano, Garcia, and Bass were all available. You could do the 2015 Royals thing where the game's only six innings long, and then you turn it. Obviously, those guys aren't, you know, they're not the best three-man back end of the bullpen of all time, but they've been really good. And you feel pretty comfortable if you have a lead after six and you're turning it over to those guys or you're in a tie game after six and you're turning it over to those guys. Obviously, that didn't happen. Mitch White's ERA as a Blue Jay now up to 817. There's some like a small element of misfortune in there, like his fielding independent pitching is way lower his BABIP super high, even though his ground ball rate's been good. He's actually missing more bats and walking fewer batters than he was as a Dodger. Um, but this is three starts in a row now where... And I promise we are going to get into the the Baker stuff and the Teoscar stuff. But while we're on the pitching, let's look ahead a little bit. So Alec Manoa will start tonight. The Jays have some tough decisions ahead because they'll have an off day Thursday, but then they play 11 games over 10 days. They don't have another off day in there to skip a guy or reset the rotation or anything like that. The best they could probably do is suck it up for one of the Texas games this weekend and do your quote-unquote bullpen day that you normally, you know, your doubleheader day, that's a, a call-up from AAA starter or a bullpen day. You do what you did in the Pittsburgh scenario where you get that out of the way on the weekend against a lesser team so that you have better arms available against Tampa Bay. Even then, 11 games in 10 days, that means you've got eight starts across Manoa, Gosman, Brio, Stripling, and three starts that have to go to Mitch White, Yusei Kikuchi, or bullpen days. Right. That is That does not feel like, and look, if you go eight and three in that 11-game stretch, you're laughing because five of those games are against the Rays and three are against the Orioles, but that does not feel like a very good stretch. No. Yeah, it really doesn't. And I think even if you go six and five, you're kind of holding your own. Uh, a lot of games, the Rays series coming up here in Toronto next week will be a big one to say the least. Um, I, I kind of like that idea of getting the bullpen game out of the way early. Um, and then, you know, it's it's trying to trying to sneak that in potentially against the Rangers uh, this weekend. So we'll see what kind of plans they announce uh, after Manoa's start today. Um, but yeah, one way or another, they need White, they need Kikuchi, and they're going to need every single arm in their bullpen. And so we're still not at the point in the season where you can kind of jettison some of those arms that are toward the back of your pitching staff. And if the Jays make the playoffs, which they're very well positioned to do, you're not going to see a lot of Mitch White or Yusei Kikuchi realistically. Um, but to get there, and this is, again, you know, this is where just adding that one extra arm at the deadline, one more arm than you think you need. And the Jays aren't the only team that's guilty of this. I mean, the, the Yankees. The Yankees, yeah. I mean, that, that's just completely cavalier. 
um, to to trade away pitching the way they did to the Cardinals. But you know, for for the Blue Jays, they are in a spot now where the quote unquote depth guys are front and center. And this stretch is probably the last period because there are some off days later in the month. Mm-hmm. And you could turn to guys like if they're playing must win games in Baltimore in early October. I think it's very much in the realm of possibility to bring someone back on short rest or to just skip a fifth starter. But for now, this might be that final stretch where Kikuchi, White, they want to make an impression. They want to show that they can actually help this team more than they're hurting it. Um, might be too late for that, but to at least nudge things in the right direction, this final stretch that you just mentioned is probably the best chance for that. Yeah, it's a good point about the way things look after this stretch. You know, you've got the off day coming out of that stretch and then you play nine in a row but that means you only have to use that fifth guy once right if things line up well and you probably can't afford to look that far ahead as you line things up for texas and tampa bay here because who knows with injuries and you know that amount of time jose brios has changed from your number three to your number six like four times this year already so um you can't look that far ahead but you can look at that stretch and it's like okay let's take the schedule the remaining schedule in three chunks and one is that 11 and 10. One is that nine-game stretch. So you need your your after your fourth starter three times, and then you need them once. And then, yeah, that final week where you've got Boston three times and Baltimore three times, all bets are off if you're still fighting for a playoff spot or even if you're fighting for home, home field advantage. Yeah, there are going to be so many tactical decisions that are really interesting in that final stretch because – I just really find it hard to envision a scenario. Like, I think the Jays are making it, but I just find it hard to envision a scenario where, to some extent, you aren't still pushing for something, right? Whether it's home field, whether it's potentially a more favorable playoff matchup, maybe you're just pushing for, for the uh, you know, making sure that game 162 doesn't matter. So So you can line up for the wild card. Exactly. And, And so if you're playing where game 62 matters... You're putting yourself in a bad spot for the wild card game. Yeah. So let, let's actually, let's do this right now. And this is, you know, this is a conversation we can have really seriously after this 11 and 10 stretch, I think, because then you can, you know, there's going to be a lot more standing certainty in two weeks than there is now, at, at least in theory, because you have so many games against Tampa Bay and Baltimore. But on the list of priorities that you could be looking at over those final two weeks, the division's still not completely out of reach, and you've got games against the Yankees left. You obviously have to fight off whoever's behind you for a playoff spot. That's number one, no matter what, is just get in the playoffs. But then you have you can look for the division. You can look for home field, which is top wild card spot. And then another thing you could prioritize. So that's already three things you could be targeting. And then a fourth thing is, do you are you okay? If you have the playoff spot locked down, say you you bury Baltimore in Anthony Bass's terms and you enter that last stretch with a six-game cushion, say, and you're pretty confident about your playoff spot, what's more important to you? Is it that last-ditch effort at the division? Is it trying to get that first wild-card spot? Or are you okay not having the home field advantage if it lets you better set up your rotation, like what I'm getting at is like if you have to choose between Manoa Gosman games one and two on the road versus Stripling Barrios games one and two at home, like I don't know which one you prefer. And that's before getting into if you're the last wild card, you get the AL Central winner instead of Tampa Bay or Seattle. Yeah, to me, I think the Jays are in a better position if they have Gosman, Manoa, and they're on the road compared to if it's Stripling Barrios at home. I think there's that much of a difference. I mean, their top two is really good. Their top two is 
I mean, you know, it's the best, obviously, is the Mets, and there are other teams that are that are clearly, um, although obviously Scherzer are injured right now. We'll see. Um, uh, he said it's days, not weeks. Yeah, exactly. He's fine. Um, so I think the Mets are still the best in that front, but the Jays are still really well positioned with those with that one two of of Gosman and Manoa. So yeah, if you had to go into progressive field in Cleveland with those guys, I mean, it's nothing's easy in this game, and if you're facing whatever it is, Bieber and Quantrill or Bieber and Tristan McKenzie, that's not easy. You could easily lose and have your season end in two days, but um, I I don't think you want to put the season on the line with Jose Barrios in a must-win game if you can avoid it. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm at as well, given the, the drop-off. And this is no disrespect to Ross Stripling, who's been terrific, but... You know, he's the number three starter. Like, the the debate with him was, was he a reliever or a starter? And then it was, well, could he jump Kikuchi? And then it's, well, could he jump Barrios? He's not jumping Manoa and Gosman in your, you know, kind of uh, your preference list for a playoff game. Plus, you need someone for game three anyway. But, yeah, I, I think entering that last Baltimore series, it'll be pretty imperative to have them put away. Yeah. So that if that's what you want to prioritize... That's what you can prioritize. Yeah, exactly. And we're, you know, a long way from that at this point. Um, but certainly, you know, this is this is a, a pair of teams that doesn't seem to be getting along too well either. So that's all the more reason to just go in there, have the emotions calm down, have the stakes be, you know, just a little bit lower where you're trying to control for, you know, not whether you get in against that team that is pretty scrappy. And and I've got to admit, I, I underestimated them pretty much all year. So you don't want to be in a position where they can... Un- undo your whole season i want to go back to one of whatever the first jay's talk plus was against the orioles so obviously jay's talk plus didn't start at the at the very beginning of the year because i was doing the morning show and some um you know a lot of basketball stuff but i think it was that mid-june series against baltimore and i teed that series up by i was speaking to someone who covers the orioles and basically what we came to was like okay well bad teams as they're coming up, as rebuilding teams are coming up, there's a fr- there's a phase where they become like the plucky, annoying team. And then you become good later. And the Orioles have almost skipped that. Like, I know that they're not in a playoff spot right now, but the plucky, annoying team is not eight games over 500 and in the playoff race in the middle of September. Yep. Like, they they skipped right... They've Don't get me wrong, they're still checking some annoying boxes. And in the next segment, we'll get into all that stuff from last night. But they have kind of skipped the pain in the butt side to legitimate threat, I think. And they have all the money in the world this offseason, too. Yeah, they're they're really showing us some things. I mean, even early in the season, they had been outscored by their opponents. Now that's no longer the case. I mean, you just look at some of the acquisitions, like a Jorge Mateo, who in the course of the season has really cut down on his strikeouts. We saw the defensive play that he made uh, earlier this week uh, against, I want to say, Springer, where he double-bounced the throw over to first. You know, that's a player they got on waivers from the Padres. Like, they've really found some some found money. Um, and then in other cases, it's just been the ongoing development and the emergence of guys like Rushman um, and Gunnar Henderson, who are legitimate star potential players. This stat is mostly a product of playing in the AL East. However... Baltimore has the third most wins in baseball against teams against five over 500. Yeah. 39 of their wins. They're 39 and 43 against above 500 teams. Like this isn't, this isn't, you know, if an, an AL central team were 72 and 64 and young, you'd be like, ah, oh, whatever. You're playing the AL central all the time. Like 
Cleveland, Minnesota, and Chicago are all not good teams, and they're they're separated by what three games right now for the division title. And, and I think Tampa, Seattle, and Toronto would all prefer to play that AL Central winner than each other. You might even this might be overthinking. You might even prefer the AL Central team to like Baltimore getting into a wild card spot. Yeah, I mean. I think it's comparable. I think, you know, the pure talent of a team like the White Sox, if they're actually yeah. playing to their potential. If Moncada's OPS climbs over 400 at some point. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot. I mean, Abreu is underperforming. There are a lot of guys on that team. Uh, Giolito's kind of been a mess all year. But I think, you know, next year, I think the White Sox probably have the most, quote unquote, established, proven talent in that division. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a this is an Orioles team that if they were in the AL Central, they could easily be competing this year for that title. Okay, so let's let's circle back. This is a lot of looking ahead and more than I meant to set you up for, but it's good. I think these are things that were are going to be on our mind over the next couple of weeks. That 10 and 11, that 11 pitcher in 10 game stretch. And this is related back to last night because we saw Mitch White struggle once again his third start in a row. You have those 3 games ahead that have to be Mitch White, Yusei Kikuchi, bullpen day or triple a starter x who doesn't exist by the way what are you doing i think you go one white and one kikuchi to start whenever their turn comes up probably you know around that double header uh you're going to need all hands on deck so give them each a shot see who does better and if it's no one then you can do bullpen game and if one of them does okay you can go with that guy the next time what do you think it's tough. I, I would, I guess the, the issue is that, and I'm on record at the trade deadline and as recently as this morning on the Fan Morning Show, I'm a believer in Mitch White long-term. I think when you have two secondary pitches that are as good as his slider and curveball and you've shown that proclivity for being able to change your grip and your release and stuff like that to improve your pitching, I'm going to bet on you. He's maybe a change-up away. But he absolutely has to stop throwing the fastball 50% of the time because it's not a good enough fastball. But the times you go away from the fastball and don't trust it should not be against the eight, nine hitters on the Baltimore Orioles going through the first seven in that order, leaning on the fastball felt a little bit like, Ooh, you, you avoided some damage there, but then to completely go away from it against the lesser hitters and put two freebies on, that was a really frustrating game as someone who thinks, Again, longer term, Mitch White can be a guy. Right now, he looks like a guy who, at the trade deadline, we thought he was being acquired to fill the old Ross Stripling role of, like, can you give us two out of the pen? Looks like that's where he belongs right now. Well, yeah, and this is the kind of trade that, you know, if if it's an off-season trade and you're acquiring him for the course of six months, great. That's a nice off-season trade. It makes sense. The Dodgers are getting someone who's not even 40-man eligible, and, and you're getting a, a pitcher who can actually help you. Optionable, perfect combination, win-win trade. Now, for where it happened in the season, the Jays need results now. And Mitch White can maybe give them results, but he doesn't offer a ton of certainty. And we're seeing that play out right now in front of us where the Jays aren't sure what they can get from him. So that's where, even if it was, you know, let's say... Jose Quintana, who's been really good with the Cardinals as well as Montgomery. If you get someone like that, I know it's not a great, like, (laughs) exciting addition by any stretch, but it's someone who can help you get to where you need to go. Yeah, and it's it's tough. The trade deadline right now does not look flattering on this front office, and a lot of people were underwhelmed with it at the time, but Mitch White has been 
ineffective. And some of that is, yes, he's in a role that maybe he wasn't acquired for it. And that is at least a little related to the struggles of Yusei Kikuchi. He's still struggled as a Blue Jay. Whit Merrifield has not played a lot and is unplayable when he plays. Like, this guy went from being Major League Baseball's Iron Man, and then two years later, he's playing first base for, like, the sixth time ever, pitching in games and riding the bench for the most part. Zach Pop's down in the minors. I like Zach Pop, but he's kind of the 10th bullpen man right now. Anthony Bass has been amazing, but... Like, that is a dicey trade deadline for a team that had playoff aspirations. And you look around, and how helpful would having Max Castillo around be right now? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the Merrifield trade, clearly. I mean, that's the loss for the Blue Jays right yeah. now. I mean, that's just not... And he's not, old money next year. Yeah, it's it, that looks... Yeah, it's just not helping them. And, and you're right, Castillo could conceivably help them, at least give them some insurance. So that doesn't look like a good, a good trade. Are you telling me Samad Taylor, the other guy they gave up in that trade, couldn't have a 60 WRC plus playing a couple positions that he's never played before. Right. Like, and again, like some of this is hindsight. Like you probably didn't know you're, you were going to get Jackie Bradley jr. Yeah. And, and I think like, you know, the Merrifield trade, it's relatively low stakes. I don't think long-term they're going to regret that trade. That's, that's fine. Now they're not going to be happy with it no. based on what we've seen so far. So that's a miss. Then you look at Mitch white so far. And again, long-term totally agree with your points. But so far, look, it's not helping them. It's actually hurting them. So And that's, they, they that's gave up a, like a high-rising prospect. Nick Frazzo, there are prospect people who have big question marks about how well the stuff is going to carry over there. And already, you know, the Dodgers have bumped him up to double A and he's gotten rocked and stopped missing bats at the same level. But that's still a pitching prospect who can touch 100. Yeah. Like, you didn't. You didn't give up Max Castillo and Samad Taylor for Mitch White. No, it's a bigger return. And and so really what you have is Anthony Bass. And yes, Zach Pop, you know, that's intriguing, medium to long term. Not really a short term difference maker. Clearly the Jays optioned him for a reason. So you got one reliever out of the deadline. And going into what we were saying, they need multiple pitchers. This is a pitching staff that not only to get there, but to get through October, they need multiple pitchers. So could they still win the World Series? Yep, could happen. No, you know, it's not hard to imagine the scenarios where where that unfolds. Yeah, Bobachette hits three home runs every game. Sure. Um, and Brios bounces back. And, like, you know, they have a chance in the same way that the Cardinals have a chance in the same way that the Padres. There are a lot of teams in baseball that have a fighting chance, and the Jays are among them. But the deadline hasn't really advanced that. No, and it was something that we entered the season with the idea that this team knew that their work wasn't done. They had a little bit of budget left. We figured with... Uh, a lot of clarity that they'd be looking to address the bullpen in season because you always are. But this front office has also, you know, pretty clearly signaled over the years. They don't believe in spending their limited free agent bullets on the most volatile position, which is relief pitchers. When you can get relievers for, you can get a sixth inning and an eighth inning guy for Jordan Groshans. Like that's, that's the mentality there, but yeah, it's been pretty underwhelming. And the Whit Merrifield thing was frustrating at the time. And it's, beyond frustrating now i'm sure he's frustrated as well but it has not gone well um okay last thing on the you gotta have 11 starters over 10 days thing i'm fully of the belief you gotta you gotta have your bad day against texas because you're playing tampa bay and those games are too valuable and texas in theory is the team you could score a ton of runs against or or might not take advantage of your your worst pitcher Looking at how it lines up, 
it might have to be Mitch White on Sunday. And I say that because you could do a bullpen day, certainly. You can't go Kikuchi against Texas, I don't think. First of all, it's a hitter's ballpark. Their WRC Plus as a team is like 23 points higher against lefties than it is righties. They've probably seen him a lot, too. So I would be dicey about Kikuchi taking a start in that series. Maybe you roll the dice with him in one part of the the doubleheader when you've got the extra bullpen arm that day and you try to line it up where, what's today? Wednesday? Wednesday. So Manoa could be starting one of those games. Manoa yep. probably starts the Monday game, actually. You probably want him leading off that series on normal rest. But if you got him the extra day, you could put him in for one half of the doubleheader. Anyway, you Depends. got yeah. some tough choices there. For sure. I kind of I like that idea. Mitch White Sunday, Kikuchi, one of the doubleheader games. Um, Manoa probably depends on how he goes tonight, right? Like if yeah. it's a really laborious outing, you might bump him a little bit longer, yeah. um, but you can work around with some things. You, and I, I guarantee this is what the Jays are looking yeah. at right and now. And you, you might almost prefer Manoa getting the extra day and going to Tuesday just because Gosman's pitching Saturday if they stay on turn. Yeah. I can't imagine they bump Gosman as far as Tuesday, right? Like no you're shot. not going to like, so that way, you know, you have your long guy with your, your risk guy. We'll see how this all goes. Barrios is lined up for Sunday, so you could, you could bump him to Tuesday, I think, okay? Or you could bump Monday. him. You could bump him to Monday, go Manoa Kikuchi on the yep. Tuesday, and have Mitch White fill in on Sunday on normal rest. That might be the best you can do for right now. And yep. then you get out of that Tampa Bay series, every, you just keep everyone on turn, yep. and if you have that 11th spot, when that 11th spot comes up, you you know, the Mitch White turn again, you just deal with it. That would be Friday, the following series. Or it's even a tandem. You know, if Kikuchi yeah. goes short on the Tuesday... You know, yeah. you could you could line them up um, Some, one with the other. Someone always has an ache too. If you need to IL someone to get another pitcher up, at this point, a lot of them have aches because Casey Lawrence can't come back up now until the 15 days are up, unless it's an IL replacement, and he seems to be the guy they trust most for length coming up at a Triple A. It's certainly not Thomas Hatch. Anthony K is still rehabbing. Nate Pearson for for an inning, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know. I heard that that rehab assignment at Dunedin on Saturday or Saturday was the, the best he's ever looked. Well, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a long way from believing in Nate Pearson as a solution for the, for this team. It's going to take more than one pro game, but if, if he's here, I will be excited to watch him, but, uh, he's not here yet. And he's a big guy. So next time you get in a little benches clearing thing, you can have him staring out menacingly. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Brian Baker, Teoscar Hernandez situation, uh, maybe a little bit of the continued Jeff Nelson nonsense. And the big headline item for tonight is Alec Manoa going to go intense maniac Alec Manoa, like eight innings of shutout ball. Or is he going to hit three batters right away and get tossed? Uh, ben Nicholson Smith stays with us to tee up tonight's game uh, next on JSOC Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Ben Nicholson-Smith still alongside me at the Letters Podcast with Arden Zwelling. Always makes me thirsty, those ad reads you guys do that we won't do here because they're not paying for here, but it's a, it's a good it's 
Good connection. Yeah, that's right. It's a good connection. Miller Lite, the presenting sponsor. I don't give it away for free. I'll I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, at the letters, sportsite.ca. If you were on the road last night, had you been? Obviously, there's a ton of baseball to dissect from that game. We just did a, a lot of the Mitch White side. What are the chances you were actually writing about baseball after that game? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there would be so much to get to. Um, and Arden wrote about it uh, at Sportsnet. So lots to, for anyone who wants to read the quotes. Um, there's so much going on in a game like that. We kind of talked about the Mitch White, the pitching side of things. But clearly, I mean, the emotions were running high. And so to me, the things that stood out the most were you've got Teoscar Hernandez. Teoscar Hernandez, right? Like this is not a guy who, you know, if... If you're in a conflict with him, probably says something about you. Like, he's a very chill individual. I took a straw poll of, like, Major League Baseball players' uh, social medias during the offseason when, when the Jays... This was around the time the Jays were, you know, rumored to be in on Jose Ramirez. And you could find stuff easily where, like, Jose Ramirez is like, yeah, my best friend, Teoscar Hernandez. I didn't do this with any sort of statistical validity, but... 70% of Major League Baseball players say Teoscar Hernandez is their best friend. Yeah, including on the Blue Jays. We see that in the dugout um, for for extended stretches in the course of the last few seasons. I, I'm sure fans know exactly what I'm talking about um, with him and, and Vladdy and Guriel and really all, all kinds of players on the Jays. So, you know, that's to the extent that we see behind the scenes, and it's not a full extent, but to the extent that we see behind the scenes, Teoscar Hernandez is very friendly, very just jovial personality, someone who's doesn't seem particularly grumpy or irritable or easy to piss off. And he was pretty fired <laughs> up after Ryan Baker, uh, you know, had a, had a little exchange following that, that ground out last night. And it is really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of history there with the Brian Baker stuff and Teoscar Hernandez, but you know, it's when I saw Teoscar getting that fired up, I'm kind of thinking this is really unusual. Something likely happened that is out of the norm. And I think it's clear that that's, that's been happening. Yeah, and there's there's got to be, like Teoscar Hernandez said after the game, and um, Brian Baker did as well, that like they were cool in Toronto. There's not a there's not like some backstory there that I don't think, it doesn't sound like, or neither of them's owning up to it and no one's reported it, but Teoscar Hernandez homered off of them the day prior, and Brian Baker was like pretty fired up even before the Teoscar Hernandez moment. There was the weird, and you can check out uh, producer Chris Black tweeted out at Down to Black. There's a thread of videos. I didn't get to go through all of them, but there is some serious weirdness going on with Brian Baker after a Rymel Tapia strikeout. Yes. Oh, yeah. I will not attempt to describe it. Ben, like absolute best case benefit of the doubt to Brian Baker. He did the world's worst. I'm trying to put my sword back in its holster celebration. Even then, like, the sword got stuck and you tried to, like, jiggle it out. And I, I don't know. I don't think I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. It was very weird. The weirdest part to me was still Rugnet Odor playing Peacekeeper. Yeah, that's that's up there for sure. Um, yeah, I think, you know, and I'm, I'm reading off of Rashman Danny's Twitter feed right here. This one made me smile when I saw it in the morning. But this is best chirp I heard about Brian Baker in the Blue Jays clubhouse tonight. And Baker was in the organization 2018 to 2021. Here's the chirp. The best thing that guy ever did was win the March Madness pool. And that is, wow, that is pretty scathing <laughs> from an unnamed Blue Jays 
person. And, you know, to be fair, Baker played in one game with the Blue Jays. This is not a legacy Toronto Blue Jay, and he's having a good season. It's not a great season. It's not a Felix Batista season. He's having a good season with Baltimore. He's a good major league reliever, good for him. I don't know why he's getting this demonstrative. I guess different players uh, choose to respond in different ways, but the Blue Jays clearly did not like it. Yeah. Congratulations. You developed the change up and it's allowed you to be a four ERA bullpen guy. Yeah. Woohoo. I mean, it's, <laughs> hey, it's not easy. Like, good for I him. know. It took a while. It's the big takeaway with that Arash tweet and that chirp in the locker room is not to get into manipulating service time and stuff like that. You got to have X number of service time days before you're allowed in the March Madness pool or the Fantasy Football League or something like that. You can't have a guy who's up for one minute winning your March Madness pool, that makes everyone else look bad. That's like if a if if Zach Collins wins the fantasy football league after he gets DFA'd and claimed by Pittsburgh, like that's a bad look for everyone else in that room. You got to have a certain amount of service time or job security, I think, yeah. to be in those things. Well, at least with the March Madness pool, you basically just set your picks and go. So, you know, if with the fantasy football or fantasy baseball pool, you're making so many moves. It's yeah. so much effort. Well, I know you're a fantasy baseball guy. I'm giving these guys the benefit of the doubt that they don't play fantasy baseball. I because, think that's a safe assumption. Yeah. That's, yes. uh, but either way, okay, so Brian Baker is is clearly irritating the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's a, a real takeaway from a game and it wasn't even the biggest confrontation because you also had Jeff Nelson with John Schneider getting into it face to face Schneider really really heated at that point and you can understand why and this was some lip reading but a few people on Twitter saw what John Schneider said as being it's not about you to Jeff Nelson and that seemed particularly biting after the Kevin Gosman thing in the first leg of the doubleheader where Jeff Nelson called a balk on him before he had delivered a pitch, before he had been given a warning, and Kevin Gosman exploded. Another guy who we don't really see that level of ire from all that often. Half the time he looks like Chris Pine level disassociating on the on, in the dugout. Like he's very chill. Jeff Nelson getting under his skin. Um, did you have an appreciation for for Schneider getting tossed in a game where emotions were clearly high and in a series where Jeff Nelson has clearly irritated the Blue Jays? Yeah, I think you have to pick your spots as a manager, and I think that was a great spot to do it. I think clearly this wasn't just a one-game situation. It had been building. We saw that with the Gosman exchange where the Blue Jays felt that he had kind of jumped Gosman instead of giving him the warning that you would expect for any pitcher, but certainly a veteran pitcher um, who's, who's been around and is, is someone uh, whose, whose delivery is very familiar to umpires. So that started things. And then, of course, the back and forth with, with Nelson, um, some conversations that we didn't hear the exact wording of, but you can get a sense of the tone. And that's a spot where, yeah, get tossed. And, uh, and he certainly was, was out of there. Jeff Nelson, you can also get a tone of it because you could just look up uh, his ump scorecard stuff. And uh, he has had a couple of rough games when he's behind the plate for the Jays this year. Like his, his worst game statistically was this year with the Jays in terms of called strikes and everything. So you add in the, the element of, he seems to be one of those umpires who likes to be a part of the show. And it certainly seems that way. I still, I still think so as we move ahead here into this final four weeks of the season and then the playoffs, the games will have increasing significance. And Mm -hmm. so that means that the umpires will be in a bit of a bigger spotlight and fans will be more upset and players will be more upset, coaches, with each individual call. And I understand that. I'm not saying 
don't get upset if the ump misses a call. But just brace yourself for it and know that there are going to be times that the Blue Jays have calls go their way. And there are going to be times that the call goes against the Blue Jays. And and we don't usually focus on the former, but when it goes against the Blue Jays, we spend a lot of time talking. Well, about and that it. was the case in that Gosman game too, yeah. right? It's like he got he got pinched on one and then Santander homered because that at bat extended and then he got the balk call. But then there were like a handful of home plate calls. And those weren't Jeff Nelson. Jeff Nelson was at second in that game, but there were a handful of calls that helped out a little bit there. There was also the yeah, there were there were just a, a couple that were borderline and these things this is the thing is like over 162 games this stuff probably evens out but every blue jays fan could point on a strike zone to you where the ben revere strike was and and i i get that that sticks with people as it as it should i i just think in 162 you're gonna end up where you should end up Mm -hmm. and if the blue jays fail to make the playoffs or if they don't win the east or if they are on the road for the wild card that is on them that's on nobody else that's on them yeah, and statistically, you know, f- for evidence that it does even out over the course of the year, the Jays are right smack in the middle of the league on most of those ump scorecard stats. And, like, someone's got to be at the low end and someone's got to be at the the high end, but there really isn't a ton of spread, and the Jays are more or less in the middle no matter what you sort it by. So they're right. Now, I mean, I'm I'm going to be very curious to see how the umpires respond to Manoa. So this is where I was going to go next. We see our broadcast on Sportsnet ends last night with that shot of Manoa sitting in the dugout, staring ahead at the field while the Orioles celebrate. And the dugout's not completely cleared out, but he sat out there a while longer. Like you would think he blew the save, blew a save or something like mm-hmm. that, the way he kind of sat there just staring. We know he's a fiery guy. We know he wants the ball at Yankee Stadium. He wants the ball when a sweep's on the line. He wants the ball on a holiday day at Rogers Center. Like, he wants the ball in big spots all the time. That intensity, coupled with the fact that nobody has hit more batters in the American League since Alec Manoa entered the league than Alec Manoa, I do wonder how short the leash is last night because another thing the Jays were upset about is that after all that nonsense, it was Jimmy Garcia who got the first warning and he hadn't even hit anyone. It was like he took the mound and they warned him. And I think the Jays were pretty fired up about that, that all that Baker stuff had happened and it was the Jays who got the first warning. I don't know. It, like if he's really inside against someone, say let, let's use Odor as an example. He was peacekeeper last night, but let's say he's the guy, you know, he'll probably be hitting seventh in the order or something like that. So let's say late second or early third inning, one comes in a little tight. Is Manoa getting warned that early? I think if it's an inside pitch, no warning. Um, I would like to think that if it's a hit by pitch, um, the umpires use their discretion. And some of this is situational, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if you got, let's say it's, I don't know, Ryan Mountcastle's leading off an inning for you and it's a heater inside and it's 94 at the hip, yeah, I'm okay with the warning there. I'm okay with that. Um, but if it's a breaking ball, if there's a runner on base, if it's a one-two pitch and he and he gets someone with a back foot slider, like, please do not want, oh, you know. The back like, foot slider one is like, that's obviously an accident. If you're trying to hit someone, you're not dropping a ball in on their back foot with that level of precision. That's also, if it misses, is an a guaranteed wild pitch. Exactly. So you would like to think that the umpires will use their discretion. But, you know, Manoa has to pitch inside. And this is a big part of, of his game, he's someone who likes to intimidate. And I don't think he would phrase it this way, 
Um, but that's my perception of things. And I think it's easy. It's, I don't mean that in a bad way either. This is sports, right? There's mm-hmm. an intimidation element. It's not necessarily a bad thing. What happens between the lines there um, is is uh, extremely high stakes and any advantage that you can get, whether psychological or otherwise, you should take. Um, so I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but I do think that Manoa's game, he is a physical presence. He pitches inside. Even when he's warming up, I, I just get this intimidation element where, you know, if you're at Rogers Center or on the road, you're watching him warm up, he does this long toss routine that extends deep into the right field corner where the other pitcher is usually warming up. And sometimes you see it and you wonder, is that guy getting a little uncomfortable with Manoa so close to his space? And, uh, you know, it's life goes on and he's got to do his routine. He's got to get himself ready. But he's someone who likes to take up space. Maybe there's a pregame ceremony going on on the road somewhere for a Yankees legend or a Twins legend. And he's someone who takes up space. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. And and again, he it's hard to ascribe intent when a guy leads the league in hit batsman right over over two years like clearly Manoa is not I mean maybe he is leading the league in the intentional hit batsman but like also there's a control element there and there's a how often do you pitch like that element there as you were discussing that and the way he pitches inside I looked up who's thrown the most pitches half a ball length or more inside on right-handed hitters this year and I just looked at right-handed hitters to be quick He's third. Yeah. Framber Valdez and Cal Quantrill are the only guys who've worked inside the righties, off off the plate inside the righties more than Alec Manoa. And in percentage terms, it's almost dead even. Like Cal Quantrill is the only guy with a little bit of an edge on Manoa. And that's a that's a great stat. And it's so interesting too, because guess what opposing managers do? They are basically scared of lining up their righties against Manoa. And so you see it time after time. You look at the platoon splits. Manoa dominates right-handed batters. Mm-hmm. Fastball slider and the way he pitches inside it's really, really effective. Now, managers realize this. They load up their lefties against Manoa. So you see that all the time where managers will just choose that day to rest their righty, put in their lefty. And I think that further illustrates just how effective he is when he pitches inside. So we're, we should expect that tonight, just like we should expect that every night Manoa pitches. Yeah, and that's exactly how they're lining up, by the way. So they've got Mullins at the top, who's a lefty. Gunnar Henderson, Kyle Sowers, Rugnet Odor, who are all lefties, and then Rutschman and Santander are both switch hitters. Right. So that's a it's lefty heavy. That's tough. Yep. And uh, it'll be interesting to see because Manoa, this is the thing with platoon splits sometimes. is like if you're really bad, you start losing your platoon splits because everyone is hitting you. When you're really good, platoon splits exist, but you're still good against lefties. And in Manoa's case, you know, there's a pretty straightforward explanation. It's his fastball and slider aren't nearly as effective against lefties. The changeup's really good, and he almost exclusively throws at the lefties. But the fastball and slider are his bread and that's his bread and butter combination against righties. And it's just a slider's never going to be as effective against an ob- well, not never. Adam Simber has figured it out pretty well. But for the most part, if you have a traditional arm slot, a slider to the opposite hand hitter is going to be a, a tough go-to pitch. And generally, fastballs are a little easier to pick up. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, it adds up to such an interesting matchup, right? Because mm-hmm. for the Jays, it's either three and one or two and two in this series. Um, you know, having swept the Pirates, do they take three against the Pirates and three against the Orioles? Of course, you got Manoa against these lefties, Manoa versus the umpiring crew. 
I don't know. This is like, it really is getting interesting for these regular season games. And Manoa's starts always are, but this is, this is a really good matchup to watch. It is. And it's also something to continue to track with Manoa where he's used his changeup more and more as the season's going on. And that's obviously, you know, that's what you do if you're trying to neutralize the opposite handed pitchers. And, and, you know, I've kind of come around on certain pitcher types should be trying it a little bit more against same handed hitters. Like I love yep. that Ross Stripling will throw it's it against the righties. Yeah. And, and part of that is he developed the sinker to play off of it a little better than the fastball, but you can get into it that way. Speaking of stripling. So just to follow up on our other conversation, the Jays, as we we're talking here, announced their probables for oh. the weekend. So they have stripling on Friday. They have, Gosman on Saturday, as anticipated. And then Sunday, it's now listed TBA. So I think that this plays into your theory that maybe a Mitch White makes that start. Maybe they try to get a little bit creative instead of purely having Barrios take the ball that day. Yeah, and again, the the argument for Mitch White gets into these platoon splits things where the, yes, Mitch White has not been very effective and maybe you want to look at Kikuchi again at some point or a bullpen day. Um, the Texas Rangers, like... Other than the St. Louis Cardinals, who mash everyone, but especially mash lefties because of Goldschmidt and Pools, the Rangers are the biggest split-heavy team in baseball in terms of crushing lefties and being mediocre against righties. Yeah. So that's something to, to keep an eye on. It's also something to keep an eye on with Manoa uh, tonight against a, a lefty-heavy Orioles lineup and looking ahead to the playoffs because, you know, what teams hit righties really well or have the lefties to match up with you. Um, you can look at some of the potential playoff opponents and you know, you're not in the American league playoff race unless you can hit pretty well, but Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Seattle are all just kind of okay against righties. They don't have that same ability to, to hammer those platoon splits as say a Yankees team does shocker. Um, although the Yankees are just cratering so much on That's offense right. at this. Yeah. Yankees and just hit and, Aaron judge every time and you're fine. <laughs> yeah. That's the solution. And the Mets. Now the Mets are in trouble. Yeah. Atlanta's right there with them. And so they're, I haven't looked at the score, but they both have double headers today. It could be a disaster day in New York. Yeah. And Starling Marte's hurt with the Mets too. So yeah, very intriguing. Unbelievable. Uh, also intriguing Alec Manoa against a surprise starter for the Baltimore Orioles. Tyler Wells is back six, eight, two fifty five. Wow. They saw the mess yesterday. They saw Manoa looking menacing on the dugout. And they said, no, no, uh, no Dean Kramer. Get us the big boy. It's it's going to be beef against beef. Wow. That yeah. is a big starting pitching matchup. That is a very large starting pitching matchup. Whew. There must have been some like Sabathia against Aaron Harang ones back in the day. Yeah. But still, this is this is a modern classic in, yeah. in that uh, in that category. A hoss fight, if you will. Uh, we'll talk to. Zach Silver about the Orioles side of last night and this matchup and, and why uh, Tyler Wells is getting this start instead of Dean Kramer. Uh, that's next on Jay's Talk Plus with Zach Silver on Sports at 590, The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus, or welcome if you're tuning in from outside Toronto on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Great chat with Ben Nicholson-Smith. You know he's a great guest because an hour is up in no time at all, and I still have a million things I want to talk to Ben about. 
but he has a whole like life and stuff and things to do uh MLB vertical at sportsnet.ca to be the editor of and a podcast at the letters. He's a busy guy. We're lucky to even have an hour with him. He's a guy too. Like when he's talking about how rare it is to see Teoscar Hernandez frustrated or upset or something like that. And like how extreme would you have to go to get that kind of reaction out of Teoscar Hernandez? That's how I feel about Ben Nicholson Smith. Like if someone was ever like, oh yeah, Ben Nicholson Smith got really mad at me or Ben Nicholson Smith hates me. I'd be like, what kind of monster are you? Brian Baker though. (sighs) Brian Baker is that kind of monster. Let's get the Baltimore perspective from everything that happened last night. Let's go to our pal Zach Silver of MLB.com, of Orioles.com. See what's going on down in Baltimore. Joined now by Zach Silver of MLB.com, of Orioles.com. And I was looking forward to this one. I thought it'd be a nice, cordial conversation. But Zach, if I understand the way yesterday turned out correctly, you and I have to fight now. (laughs) Well, it's... uh... If you kind of walk by me down here in Baltimore, I'd maybe make a little hand trip in motion at you, and then we maybe have a little bit more beef. So uh, <laughs> maybe it's a good thing we're we're border apart. What uh, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, you could call it a melee last night, but you could also call it just kind of three or four innings of bubbling and, and building up. What was your feeling walking away from Camden last night? I thought it was great. I mean, I, I, I think this is a good rivalry that's going to kind of be around for hopefully a few years. I mean, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox obviously have their thing. The Rays are a very good team, but they have a lot of turnover where these rivalries don't kind of simmer, although the Orioles were in Tampa in August and there was a little bit of a brouhaha there. But, you know, there's a lot of names on these teams. There's Adley Rutschman and Cedric Mullins and Flag Rower Jr. and Bo Bichette and Teoscar Hernandez. And these could be teams that kind of go toe-to-toe, you know, maybe not at the top of the division or maybe at the top of the division over the next few years. So, you know, no one got hurt, which was a good thing, and it kind of was just words shared. Um, it was interesting that Brian Baker was at the center of it and a former Blue Jay who honestly isn't like the creme de la creme on the Orioles' bullpen, but is a re- become a reliable arm. So it was kind of just fascinating to see how it all unfolded, and since no one got hurt, since there wasn't any sort of really bad visuals, that I, I was kind of kind of tickled by it. What what did Brian Baker have to say about it after the fact? Did, did he get into whether that, you know, Teoscar Hernandez over on this side said that, you know, they were cool when he was in Toronto and Teoscar kind of, you know, did the, I'm not going to pour fuel on this, but he's mad that I homered off of him. Um, what was Baker's take on it after the game? Yeah, Baker tried to be diplomatic. He tried to say it's just something he was saying. I didn't really like it. Just let him know about the disagreement and that, you know, just keep talking if he wanted to. Um, you know, like I said, Baker was the Blue Jay last year, and they were they seemed to be on good terms. Festered, but um, he he tried to be diplomatic about it. Obviously, it's Orioles bullpen has a lot of guys who come from teams on off waivers. They made a waiver claim yesterday, um, and their bullpen has about three or four of those guys. So there's a chip on all their shoulders, and I just think it kind of got the best of them yesterday. And it's kind of what September baseball has been about. Did anyone ask Rugnet Odor about his role in it? Because for Blue Jays fans, him being the guy who punched Jose Batista and then being the guy trying to separate people yesterday was, was pretty funny, on top of which he had, like, the greatest slide of all time. Uh, what was what was Odor saying uh, after that one? We didn't actually get a chance to talk to Odor, no, but uh, certainly was a, it certainly was a bit of a about-face from 
his mentality and his sort of attitude against the Blue Jays. He still loves hitting against them. You know, if that game in the ninth inning last night was against the Athletics, would he maybe have taken second base? I'm not sure, but it was the Blue Jays and he did it. So I think there is still some some bad blood maybe, but he's grown a lot and he's he's, he's become sort of a veteran on this team. So. They look to him to be that guy who's going to be the peacemaker sometimes. So you mentioned this is, you know, it's it's pretty fun. It's cool that these teams are going to play so much down the stretch here in September with a lot on the line. These teams are probably, even with the more balanced schedule, still going to see a lot of each other the next couple of years. Uh, bright future ahead for both franchises. In the more immediate future, our Sportsnet broadcast here in Toronto ended last night with a shot of Alec Manoa in the dugout, just kind of staring out at the Orioles starting uh, or celebrating that win, rather. My feeling from that is that it's going to be an intense outing from Manoa tonight. Uh, He leads the American League and hit batsmen the last two years. Uh, Do you think there's potential for this to, for last night to carry over into tonight and, you know, we have another dramatic one on our hands? Well, I'll give you a little reporting. Uh, when I was walking back to the press box from the Orioles clubhouse after postgame, there was Manoa walking back to the uh, Blue Jays tunnel, and he had sunglasses on in a dark tunnel, so he seemed like he was ready to come up today and, and do what he can. So, um, yeah, there's been already some interesting battles between him and the Orioles. I know last year he hit a couple batters, and tempers sort of flared a little bit. Impressive in their bullpenning yesterday. I think today they know how important – yesterday's game was if they lost yesterday's game and then have the tall task and lose to Manoa today that's a four-game sweep and that could very well do them in so um day at Camden Yards today and just seeing I saw that video of Manoa and the bull and the dugout yesterday and, and just kind of knowing what makes him such a good pitcher I, I can't even imagine just how exciting and how sort of dramatic today might turn out yeah and you know you mentioned his history with the Orioles hitting batters uh, the Orioles also have the best numbers against him other than I think Detroit and Minnesota um, so for whatever reason they've had some the ability to get to him a little bit I, I want to look on the other side of this pitching matchup as well because as you reported a little earlier today and which was news to us uh, Dean Kramer not starting this game now it's Tyler Wells, and the idiot in me, the wrestling fan in me, immediately goes to, "Oh, they called up the six foot eight, two hundred and fifty five pound guy uh, opposite Manoa the night after the two teams have to be separated." Obviously, that's not why they do that. But what is going on here? I, I know there was the Jordan Lyles, Keegan Aiken thing on, on Monday, and now Kramer's being pulled uh, in favor of Tyler Wells, Spencer Watkins back down to AAA. What, what's, what do you make of this? What, what's going on with the Tyler Wells shake up there? Yeah, no, it's been another, another game with the Orioles. I don't know if it's a chess match. I'm not sure exactly what was going on, but um, it sounds like Tyler Ty Wells is going to start today. He's coming off an oblique injury. We were told originally he's going to have one more rehab start in the minor league, but they evidently have made a change to bring him up a little bit earlier than they prescribed. And, it sounds like Kramer might follow him out of the bullpen, so you could be looking at an opener thing where you have Wells go two or three innings, see what you can get out of him, and with a tapped bullpen, then you put Kramer behind him, you know, just hope that he he's able to get through six innings. So the Orioles are being aggressive. They're, they're going for it. They're trying to do what they can to maybe throw the Blue Jays off rhythm. You know, you do wonder if bringing a guy up from the IL his first game in over a month is the smartest thing to do. Um, and then you have a guy who was lights out against the Blue Jays his last start, take him off his rhythm, and put him in the bullpen to start, you know, if, if, if the wheels kind of go off, it seems like it could really get out of hand early. 
or it could pay off handsomely. It doesn't seem like it's going to be much in between. Yeah, it, it surprised me a little bit, too, to hear that Kramer could follow, just because, you know, like you said, Kramer had a good outing against the Jays last time. Wells only threw two and a third inning in his one rehab start. And then also, if you look more recently, well, Wells was just in the bullpen not that long ago. So it's not unfamiliar to him. Let's assume that for a minute that that this is a normal start for Wells. What has changed for him this year that's made that's helped him effectively transition from bullpen role last year to starting role this year and looking like a guy who could maybe stick in the rotation for this team for a while? Yeah, so for him, going to the bullpen last year was actually the change. He was a starter through the minor league, um, but they wanted him to sort of monitor his innings last year, and that's always easier to do in a bullpen setting. You know, he had Tommy John surgery in 2019. He didn't have a minor league season in 2020. So last year, he was coming off two lost seasons, and they were being very cautious with him, and they've been cautious with him all season. You know, he hasn't really pitched past 80 pitches too much this year. They've kind of kept him to that five to six inning, 80 pitch range, but you know, he's a guy who, in a, in a smaller setting, could sort of ramp it up to that 98, 97-mile-per-hour range. Um, but he's learned to kind of tone it back a little bit, let his stuff play in the zone. You know, he's got some good – he's got a good ride on his fastball, kind of just let that, you know, eat and, and get, you know, soft ground ball out. It's kind of been his bread and butter. So he's kind of this, – this change for him has more been back to his roots of a starter. Um, but it is certainly interesting to see how they'll use him down the stretch. You know, that we thought if he was going to come back as a starter, he'd definitely lead at least – Two more outings in the in the minors, but um, considering how how cautious they've been with him, it is it was definitely very surprising to see that they're going to call him up as quickly as now and put him back in the major leagues as, as quickly as just one rehab outing. Considering that you know he is coming off all these injuries and how cautious they've been with him already. But like you said, they're they're very aggressive right now. Um, Brandon Hyde managed that game very aggressively yesterday. I actually thought the two games on Monday he he was a little on the passive side, like with the DL hall and Bruce Zimmerman staying in as long as they did almost like managing for Tuesday's game already on Monday, but super aggressive yesterday. This moves obviously aggressive. Do you get the sense that Brandon Hyde has been kind of given carte blanche down the stretch here? Obviously the, the Orioles front office has made moves as if, and they've said as if, you know, I've, we've heard from uh, the GM, Mike Elias, that this is about, the long-term build here in Baltimore and they're not going to rush anything. They're not going to, they obviously dealt Trey Mancini and some bullpen pieces at the deadline, but do you get the sense that Hyde's been given the green light to, okay, let's put that stuff aside and everything in September here is about win, win, win. Yeah. It's been a bit of an about face. You know, we talked to Elias after the trade deadline or after the trade of Trey Mancini. And he said, well, it's a possibility we make into the playoffs. We don't see it as a probability. And that was their sort of rationale. And, able to trade Trey Mancini and their closer, Jorge Lopez. And ever since then, the team has kept winning. They had a winning August. Um, they got out to a good start in September. Um, and I think when that all kind of came, they did uh, made these moves with the mentality of trying to put the pieces forward for this season. You know, it can't hurt to give Adley Rutschman, Kyle Stowers, a lot, you know, Gunnar Henderson, a lot of their young prospects, the experience of going through September run, that's only going to suit them in the years to come. They, they took, signed a Jesus Aguilar in a minor league deal, a veteran guy who, has been in these kind of runs and they signed him with the intention, you know, they could have given that time to someone in the minor leagues, but they decided to go for a veteran bat. So I think this has kind of been a, a chance to see what Brandon Hyde is able to do. You know, there's always that conversation is if these moves, if the openers coming from the front office or from the, from the dugout. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, they are being aggressive. They are instilling this sort of culture in the clubhouse as soon as this year that 
I hope kind of pays off in the years to come. Yeah, and I, I think it's great. You know, I come from the last few years or, or the last handful of years, really, um, you know, covering the Toronto Raptors on the basketball side, and they've, you know, been very big that trying to win is a component of development. You can't just tank relentlessly until all your players are really good and you have a, a load of cap space. You have to learn how to win and you have to go through those. And, and it seems to me like the Orioles are doing that right now. And it's it's fun to see. It's certainly made this, this playoff race more fun and, and it makes September a little more intense. When you talk about an Adley Rutschman, man, that guy came up and he, he looks pretty much ready right away. He's obviously been very good. What do you think our timeline is here before we're talking about him, not as one of the best young prospects in baseball, but, you know, this is a plus-plus defensive catcher who's going to hit at the top of an order for a really long time. At what what point do we start talking about this guy as just one of the best players in baseball, period? Yeah, I mean, I think that time is is coming, if not already sort of starting to to creep in. I mean, he's probably going to get at least a couple down-ballot MVP votes. I mean, if if you look at the Orioles' record, after he got called up, they have one of the best records in the American League since he arrived. He just really anchored this team, really stabilized the pitching staff. That was already pretty impressive, but he's already among the best catchers as far as hitting, as far as batter, batter's eye, as far as framing and top time. I, mean, I, I tweeted this out yesterday. He's on track to be just the sixth catcher in baseball history to accumulate at least four base, uh, B-war in his rookie season, and he'd be the first since Mike Piazza in 93 to do that. You know, Buster Posey never did that. Yadier Molina never did that. These are some of the best catchers of this current generation. Joe Maurer never did that, and, and he's, he's doing it. And, um, you know, he's been incredibly impressive. It took him a little bit of time to get going, but he's not looked back since he got there. Can I be a jerk for one second? Please. You know who else didn't do that? Matt Wieters. Uh, de- definitely didn't do that. Uh, Adley Rutschman right now, actually with a WRC plus higher than any season in Matt Wieters career too. So uh, Baltimore, obviously Matt Wieters ha- had a pretty solid career still, but now getting the top catching prospect that's been promised for so long. Um, Zach, before I let you go here, we look ahead. Obviously tonight's game is huge and the Orioles are, you know, once again, making roster moves to maximize their chances here. We look ahead a little bit. These teams are going to play again next weekend in between there. The Orioles have Boston and Washington, while the Jays have Texas for three, not bad, but Tampa Bay for five in between these series. Just how closely is Baltimore, you know, going to be watching what's going on with Toronto and Tampa Bay, not just because of the playoff race, but because it informs some of this stuff down the stretch where, you know, if they lose tonight and then the Jays continue on a run and Baltimore drops a couple against Boston or Washington, you know, maybe that gap becomes large enough that they do start shifting plate appearances away from an Aguilar type to a younger player. Um, you know, wh- where is that cutoff? Just how closely are the Orioles going to be monitoring the standings to, to kind of inform what they're doing these last couple weeks? Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to what we've been saying the past few minutes is that they, they value these games here right now. They know they have six more games against the Jays after this week, after today but they, they know that they kind of need to make up ground starting now. You know, they, they do have a decently enough schedule from here on out. They do end it in New York, Boston, and then they get Toronto. Um, but they, they see sort of their moment as, as here, and, and they are paying attention. I don't, think, I don't think seeing, you know, if Toronto's really starting to take off, they go, you know, on an eight-game run, then they're going to necessarily change their, their, their tenor, you know, the Mariners can very well flounder. The Rays can very well flounder. I think they're going to kind of keep on this the foot, foot on the pedal throughout the end of this season. But 
Um, you know, this, this really hasn't even been a conversation the past few years. They've had waiver claims who didn't work out, and Brandon Hyde has had 300 lost seasons, and now all of a sudden – or, sorry, 200 lost seasons. But now all of a sudden they're, they're, they're here. They're among the conversation for the postseason, and that itself is just a revelation. In terms of Hyde, last one before I let you go here, I promise this time. Uh, I don't have a vote, but I would imagine if you polled around the people who do have a vote – He's got to be something close to a lock for American League Manager of the Year, would you think? Yeah, it's hard not to think so. I mean, it feels like at this point, Manager of the Year is just the team that exceeded expectations. <laughs> and he's certainly, he's, this Orioles team has certainly done that. You know, I think, I think there is a conversation for Kevin Cash. He's had an unreal amount of injuries across his bullpen, his staff, and his lineup. That stat um, yesterday you know, that uh, they've had wins from, like, 25 different pitchers and saves from 11 different pitchers or something like that is, like, that's extreme even for the Tampa Bay Rays. Right, exactly, exactly. And I, I think, you know, I, I'd say Hyde right now is probably the lead lead horse for the manager of the year. Um, you know, Scott Cervais has also done a really nice job with Seattle and how impressive they've been in, in that division. But, um yeah, I mean, if, if you kind of end of the season right now, it's hard to make an argument against what Hyde has done, what what they've kind of taken from the scrap heap and really turned into a formidable bullpen and, and an offense that, is, that has performed right when it needs to. Well, it's been a lot of fun, and I hope it keeps rolling in games. They're not playing against the Toronto Blue Jays down the stretch here because I would really like to be doing this show during the playoffs and not, uh, not doing a wrap-up where the Jays missed by one game again. So, uh, happy that things are turning around in Baltimore. The AL East continues to get interesting, uh, but they can put a pin in it just for, for tonight and for those three games next week. Uh, Zach Silver, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Keep up all the great work at MLB.com, Orioles.com, at Zach Silver on Twitter. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, anytime. Thanks a lot for having me on. We got some big news coming out of that one. A whole bunch of transactions for the Toronto Blue Jays. That long conversation we had with Ben Nicholson-Smith about what's going on with Mitch White, if he gets another turn, uh-uh. Mitch White optioned to AAA. So he'll have to stay down there for the 15 days, barring an injury. You can come up for an injury replacement. He can actually come up on Tuesday for the doubleheader. Uh, if you're the 29th man that day, as we saw with Zach Pop, um, you can that supersedes the 15-day minimum, but only for a day. So maybe we see him Tuesday. He won't be starting that Sunday game, though. Mitch White, option to AAA. Also, Teoscar Hernandez. Off to the paternity list. I tweeted this out, and as Sesco pointed out, there's a recent comparable of a certain Toronto athlete leaving briefly to have a kid and then coming back and being unbelievably hot. That was Fred Van Vliet. Maybe there's a little of that magic for Teoscar Hernandez as well. Uh, congratulations to Teoscar and his family. Not sure if the baby's been born yet or, or it's just due soon, but he's off to the paternity list. So with Mitch White going down, the Jays have recalled Zach Pot. Not all that surprising that he's the next pitcher up. Um, you don't need that starter, that next starter until Sunday at the earliest, the way things are lined up right now. You get an extra bullpen arm right now. Zach Pop is obviously the next guy up at, at AAA, given that he's been in the, the Blue Jays bullpen and been effective there. 
that he was just up as the as the 29th man. Um, he's had a little bit of trouble over four appearances down at, at AAA Buffalo, but for the most part, he's been solid, and, and you know what to expect from him. He's got a 235 ERA as a Blue Jay. Um, doesn't not missing a lot of bats, but he hasn't walked anyone. He doesn't walk anyone ever really. Um, under less than a two percent walk rate on the season, which is pretty remarkable. Um, big ground ball guy because of that heavy sinker. But yeah, you're going to be prone to some contact stuff because of the lack of bat missing stuff right now. And we'll see if they can develop that because he does have a pretty nice slider with some good shape to it. Uh, he doesn't throw it a ton. Right now, he's mostly just a sinker ball guy, which is fine. If you're the last man in the bullpen, you have a specialized skill like that, and you are able to minimize damage by never walking anyone, you could be a relief arm. Long term, you want that slider to emerge as more of a swing and miss weapon for him as well. But for right now, not bad. And the Jays bullpen gets reinforced on a, a night they may need it. Alec Manoa, obviously, you anticipate him going a little deeper. And Jordan Romano is pretty well rested. Adam Simber, not too poorly rested either. But you've got Jimmy Garcia coming off a 20-pitch game. Tim Mays has pitched two days in a row. Trevor Richards, Julian Merriweather have pitched a lot the last two days. Even Yusei Kikuchi was used yesterday. Anthony Bass is probably fine. He threw seven pitches yesterday. I meant to ask Ben Nicholson-Smith what he thought about that pitching change. Um, I didn't love it, even with the platoon stuff. But what are you going to do? Anyway, you get an extra fresh arm in Zach Pop for today and then probably into the weekend unless you need another move. With Teoscar hitting the paternity list, Gabriel Moreno, the Toronto Blue Jays' number one prospect, is back with the team. You saw him for 18 games earlier in the year. Hit 276, 300 OBP. Didn't hit for much extra base power. Looked pretty good controlling the running game and athletically behind the plate. But you saw some of the growing pains that you'd expect from a really young catcher. He's 22 years old. He's the second youngest catcher in all of AAA. And you call him up the major. So, of course, he's going to have some ups and downs. On the season at AAA, he's struck out less than 17% of the time. So, again, you're looking at very good control of the strike zone, pitch recognition, discipline. And he walks 9% of the time down there. That's led to a 386 on base percentage. If you're anywhere in that realm at all as a catcher, you got a career. He's hitting 315 at AAA as well. Not a ton of power, 420 slugging percentage. So you're looking at a, a 806 OPS. Still good for a guy who is very young for that level and is playing a premium defensive position. But not a ton of pop just yet. He did have a pretty major hot streak recently. He's So he had been in and out of the, the Buffalo Bisons lineup a little bit too as he dealt with thumb soreness. He had thumb surgery last year. And, and obviously, if you're a catcher, you're, you're taking a pretty good beating regularly anyway. When the Jays first sent him back down, an immediate seven-game hit streak, but not a lot of extra base stuff. Not that long ago, mid-August. So if you're looking at August 14th to 24th, that was about the time he kind of put the thumb thing behind him. There's a seven-game stretch there where he had 15 hits, including four doubles. Now, 
to illustrate for you how even when you're red, red hot, singles only do so much damage. There's a 1.128 OPS over that seven game stretch. That's that's very good, of course. But you hear 15 hits in seven games, and I think you'd expect that to be uh, just a little bit higher. Uh, overall, since he went back down to Buffalo in July, he has an 834 OPS. So a little, a tad better than before he got called up. You've seen a little bit more power. He's got an isolated slugging of 137 during that stretch, which is higher than it was before his call-up. And again, this is a, a guy who projects to be a pretty good defensive catcher. How much he'll get used is a, is a question mark here. A paternity list stint is probably not going to be that long. And it's not like there are other names there barking for a call-up. Zach Collins was uh, someone we thought could be in that mix, but he got designated for assignment when the Jays needed a 40-man spot to reactivate Julian Merriweather the other day, and the Pittsburgh Pirates claimed Zach Collins earlier. So it's Gabriel Moreno up. We know that the Jays want him playing regularly, and that probably means he'll be back in AAA as soon as Teoscar Hernandez is ready to come back. The AAA regular season goes until July, uh, July, until September 28th, and Buffalo's in a playoff race right now, so theirs could go a little longer, conceivably. In any case, Gabriel Moreno's up with the team for now. Zach Pop back up as an extra bullpen arm. The Jays will run with a longer bullpen until they need to make a decision on a starter, uh, which doesn't have to come until Sunday at the earliest. Sunday, in my estimation, as Ben Nicholson-Smith and I talked about earlier, Sunday is the spot where I would use a call-up starter or a bullpen day or something like that. Because then you get that in against Texas, a lesser team, a team that really hasn't hit righties very well. So that's probably not a Kikuchi day, given how well they hit lefties. But you'd rather have that against a lesser team and keep your better arms available for early in that Tampa Bay series, which is five games over four days. You're going to need three starts from someone who is not Manoa, Gosman, Brios, Stripling over that 11-game in 10-day stretch. But there's no rule that says you have to know what you're doing on Sunday or next Tuesday here on Wednesday. For right now, Mitch White's out of here. He's going to go work on things at Buffalo. Uh, He won't be up back up for 15 days unless there's an injury uh, that requires his call-up or he's the 29th man on Tuesday. Again, Teoscar Hernandez to the paternity list, probably just a couple days. Gabriel Moreno, the Blue Jays' top prospect, recalled as additional depth. He'll be the third catcher. Gives you a little bit more flexibility with how you use Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen, both in terms of who starts and starts where, how often you can get Kirk's bat in the lineup, what you can do with pinch hit, pinch run, defensive replacement, things like that. A little bit of extra flexibility. We know if they called up another outfielder or infielder, they weren't going to play anyway. At least Moreno has a, a path to some utility there. We don't have a Jays lineup yet. We do have an Orioles lineup. Uh, we know also that Tyler Wells is going to start instead of Dean Kramer, who was originally the, the listed probable pitcher for tonight. Let's take a break. When we come back, maybe we'll have a Jays lineup. We'll set up the pitching matchup for you. Two of the beefiest guys there are on the hill. This is about as large a starting pitching matchup as I think you can 
have Tyler Wells is 6'8", 255. Manoa's listed at 6'6", 285. It's a Haas fight. Let's take a break. When we return on JSTOCK Plus, we'll tee up tonight's game. That's next on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We got news for you. We got lineups for you. We got pitching changes for you. All sorts of stuff over these last 20 minutes. Jays wrap up this series against the Baltimore Orioles tonight. 7.05, first pitch. Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker will have Jays talk for you post game. But I've got the pregame right now, and that means I get all the transactions news. Said it before the break, but if you missed it, Mitch White, option to AAA. He'll be out of the mix for 15 days with the exception of that Tuesday doubleheader. He can, he's eligible to be called back up as the 29th man that day. Zach Pop recalled to fill that spot, not as a starter, but additional bullpen length until you next need that starter. After tomorrow's off day, they've got 11 games in 10 days. So they'll need three starts from some combination of Mitch White, Yusei Kikuchi, and bullpen days. Yeah. You better make better make use of those other eight games. Um, the other move, Teoscar Hernandez hits the paternity list. Gabriel Moreno recalled likely for a short amount of time here. But that third catcher is some nice additional flexibility for John Schneider as he manages how to get Alejandro Kirk's bat in the lineup as often as possible, how to handle pinch hit, pinch run, defensive replacement scenarios with his two catchers. Moreno won't be in the lineup tonight. It's a bit of an odd, bit of an odd lineup tonight. And part of that is Teoscar Hernandez being out. Part of it is just, I don't know, sometimes you got a weird lineup. Here's how the Jays will line up against the Orioles as they look to take three of four and put Baltimore back four and a half games behind them in the chase for that final wildcard spot. George Springer will lead off. He's getting a DH day as they continue to Rotate those around to keep everyone as fresh as possible so the bats can be in the lineup every day. He's followed by Vlad Guerrero Jr. Bo Bichette, red, red hot in that three spot. He had 10 hits over like a 24-hour span. Remarkable. Alejandro Kirk catches Alec Manoa and hits fourth. Matt Chapman up in the five spot with Teoscar Hernandez on the paternity list. Rymel Tapia hitting sixth. It's been a tough go for Tapia of late. Maybe this is a spot where he can get right. He'll play right field. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hits seventh and plays left. Santiago Espinal draws in at second base as they continue to rotate first and second around between Merrifield, Biggio, and Espinal. Espinal and Biggio more or less in a straight platoon lately, but with a string of right-handed starting opponent pitchers, um, you get... 
an Espinal day here instead. Jackie Bradley Jr. plays center and rounds it out. A Guriel Bradley Tapia outfield is a, an interesting look. That's how the Jays line up. They'll face Tyler Wells instead of Dean Kramer. Now, Dean Kramer is listed as a likely follower. Now, Fangraphs lists those, and I think it's usually just kind of trying to read the tea leaves and figure it out. Tyler Wells has been a starter all year and his entire career except for last season. But he hasn't pitched in the majors in quite a while due to injury. He's been on the aisle since July 28th. And he only made one rehab start at high A and it was only two and a third innings. So he might not be in a spot where they're fully comfortable with him going a typical starter's length. So Dean Kramer, who the Jays have seen a handful of times, uh, could be behind him. Here's how Tyler Wells sets up, though. One of the only guys who matches Alec Manoa for physicality. 6'8", 255. He's a 28-year-old righty. 390 ERA. Peripheral metrics that say that's about right. 439 FIP, 381 expected ERA, which is the StatCast uh, version that tries to take out some of the good or bad luck. He strikes out fewer than 18% of the batters he faces, and he's a bit home run prone. But when you really don't walk anyone and you do have a little bit of ability to get swing and miss, you can make it work. He's going to throw a 94-mile-an-hour fastball a little more than 40% of the time. Not elite velocity, but one of the highest spin rates on a fastball in the league. And what that means is when you hear, you know, you'll hear Dan Schulman and the rest of the crew talk later about, um, or Ben Wagner, talk about a rising fastball. Now, it doesn't really rise, but it has the appearance of rising because the spin rate's high enough to keep it up in the zone longer. And he'll work that up in the zone pretty well. Opponents have hit 262 against it with pretty good batted ball results, but he can miss some bats with it. The big thing with that pitch is not only to to keep you off balance for the slider and the changeup, but he's hoping to pop you up. It's a, it's a pretty good pitch for lazy fly balls and infield flies. He'll complement that with a slider that comes in about 88, uses it about 26% of the time Uh, opponents hitting just 208 against it. And they swing and miss at it about 25% of the time. That's a little low for a slider, but it's not bad for a guy of this tier strikeout rate. Against righties, he's going to be fastball slider heavy, and then the curveball and the change come in. Against lefties, it's fastball change up, and then he'll spot in the slider and the curveball. Again, Tapia and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. are the only lefties in the lineup for the Jays today, so you don't have to worry about that as much, but it is a pretty good change up. And those guys will probably see a lot of it. And then that curveball comes in about 13% of the time. Um, Him being able to add that to his repertoire after kind of going away from it as a reliever last year has been good for him. Uh, The batted ball results against it are ridiculous. That's a tough pitch to square up. And he doesn't get a ton of swing and miss with it. But I'd argue the numbers against it suggest he should be throwing that thing a little bit more. The Jays have seen Wells. um, Saw him once earlier this year, back in mid-June, and he only gave up one earned over six innings, five hits, one walk, three strikeouts. But the Jays' overall numbers against him are pretty good because when they saw him in 2021, they hammered him. Nobody has a huge sample individually, but Alejandro Kirk and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. have hit him pretty well. Bo Bichette 
did not has not hit him well in a small sample, but he's the hottest hitter in baseball. So you, you probably still like his chances. And then your bench group all have small samples of, of not having a lot of luck against Tyler Wells. He's another reverse splits guy, by the way. So uh, righties have a, a little bit better of a time against him than lefties in part because that changeup is such a good pitch. Here's how the Orioles will line up behind him. We touched on a little bit with Ben Nicholson-Smith earlier because we were talking about Alec Manoa's platoon splits and the Orioles' ability to throw a lot of lefties at you. They're going to go Cedric Mullins at the top of the order. Adley Rutschman, Anthony Santander, Blue Jays killer Ryan Mountcastle, Gunnar Henderson, get another DH day. It's an interesting one given his reputation as a, as a high-end defensive prospect, how they bounced him around the infield his first couple starts. Now he's got two DH days in a row. He did have a rough day Monday, so maybe they're just trying to give him a little mental break from it. Uh, Kyle Stowers, Ramon Urias, Rugnet Odor, and Jorge Mateo. Which one of those guys is Alec Manoa hitting today? Ben and I talked about it earlier. Uh, Alec Manoa looks pretty fired up last night. He also leads the American League in hit batsmen since he entered the league. And he trails only Cal Quantrill in terms of how often he works the inside part just off the plate. There's a real plausible deniability when Alec Manoa hits better. He works in that area a lot. Drops that back foot slider in there. I would imagine the umpires have a short leash for that kind of thing tonight. And a warning will come quickly if that happens. Alec Manoa, even if he doesn't hit anyone, is a pretty intimidating guy on the mound. He comes in with a 248 ERA. The peripheral metrics say that that's uh, a little lower then maybe it should be. He's got a 335 fielding independent pitching, a 352 expected ERA. However, when you look at, well, why might that be the case? It's because Alec Manoa doesn't do anything poorly. Every single stack cast metric you can look at, he's at least average in. There's nothing he doesn't do at least at a, a league average level for a starter. And he is elite at limiting how often he gives up hard hit balls. His great walk rate, good chase rate, getting guys to swing and stuff outside of the zone. And then, yeah, he's just averaged this year at getting swing and miss stuff, but even that's ticked up a little bit the last couple games. Six or more strikeouts in four straight. There was a stretch, and it actually happened to be uh, consecutive starts against the Orioles, where it looked like maybe Manoa was starting to wear some fatigue. Swing and miss stuff was down. The ERA was rising. He seems to have rounded out of that. Still, it's notable that he had those two poor starts against the Orioles in August. He shut them out over six in June. And then August 9th, he allowed three over five. August 16th, he allowed four over five and two thirds. Again, that's kind of the peak of when we were talking about is Alec Manoa wearing down a little bit. He's rounded out since then. You'll still have to watch out for Ryan Mountcastle and Cedric Mullins at the top of the order. Both of those guys have homered off Manoa twice before. Adley Rutschman and Anthony Santander both have good results in a small sample. The only guy who's starting today who has a rough small sample against Manoa is Jorge Mateo. You won't see Austin Hayes or Ryan McKenna who have both struggled against him. And again, it's heavy on the lefties and switch hitters. 
Baltimore could go as many as seven lefty and switch hitters in this one. They're only going with six here. Taron Vavra will remain on the bench. He hasn't, he's been uh, sparsely seen of late. Taron Vavra hitting 224. So not entirely surprising there. And they also have, I mean, you don't have to force a lefty bat in there against a righty when you have this many guys who can hit from the left side or be switch hitters. So you'll have Mullins, Rutschman, Santander, Henderson, Odor, and Stowers all hitting from the left side in this one. And again, Alec Manoa has some pronounced platoon splits. Against lefties, though, he does have that really good changeup. It's the fastball and the slider that have been an issue, which is not entirely surprising given what we know about how platoon splits work and how opposite side hitters pick up fastballs and sliders out of your hand versus how they pick up a changeup. Maybe Manoa hammers the change up a little bit more. That's something we've actually seen over uh, since around the start of July. That change up usage has come up a little bit. So too is the sinker usage, uh, the fastball and slider down just a little bit. Some of that might have to do with teams stacking more lefties against him. So he goes to more of his uh, lefty bag, but it's still notable that the, the change up's been leaned on a little bit more. All four of those pitches have really good results in terms of batted ball stuff. The fastball is probably his most hittable, but even then it's not getting hammered the way, say Mitch White's or Kevin Gosman's fastball have gotten hit at times. Slider's the best swing and miss pitch he has. Sinker's the best ground ball pitch. Righties can't touch anything against Alec Manoa is the the highlight item here. Um, Every, all four of his pitches we can do an expected ERA for based again on the the quality contact and how often you miss bats or, or keep it in the zone and things like that. All four of his pitches have an expected ERA of under 350 against righties. Again, lefties can get to the fastball and slider a little bit. That's why you'll see six of them here. And Manoa's had some poor results against this team. Only he's only been worse against Detroit and Minnesota, which is a really weird mix of teams to have struggled against. Detroit, Minnesota, and Baltimore. It's probably still like his chances here. He is your gamer. He is pretty fired up here uh, based on what it looked like last night and certainly the bump day Instagram posts. Now, do we get this game in? I don't know. To uh, use a Counting Crows lyric, it's raining in Baltimore. Our pal Chris Black, Sportsnet producer, just tweeted out a photo. It is, uh, it's not pouring, but it's ugly. It's not like yesterday where at least the sun was peeking out around all that rain. It's just gray and dreary. They'll probably try to get it in again. The yesterday's game was delayed a little bit, um, but they got it all in. Obviously, they got the doubleheader in through some rain. You're all right. By the way, I had intended to play a couple clips in this show but the combination of Ben Nicholson Smith being such a wonderful guest for an hour and the transaction news coming down as it did, we're not going to get to them, but I mention it just to direct you to the Blair and Barker show from earlier. Um, go check out the podcast from today. Boba was on and there were some really good comments about his two strike approach and what's changed for him, what got him away from it in the first place and what, got him back to where he is now. Um, Anytime a guy is this hot and he's willing to talk to you about it, it's an interesting interview, but uh, great stuff from Blair and Barker that you can go check out with Bo. Um, 
there were a lot of fun comments from last night's game, separate of Bo, as the uh, the Jays and the Orioles do a little CM Punkish war of words after the game. We'll see how that carries over into tonight. It should be a lot of fun once it gets going. And then after tonight, you know, we'll we'll spend a lot of tomorrow's show looking at this. Eric Crean, you can stop stressing about it. Ben and I talked about it, and we'll talk about it again tomorrow. 11 games over 10 days, and you're going to have to figure some stuff out with how your rotation lines up. The Jays have given us their probable pitchers for that Texas series on the weekend, but not all of them. They're going to go Stripling Friday, Gosman Saturday. No surprise there. Sunday, to me, makes more sense as your bullpen day or your lesser starter day. But Mitch White's down to AAA. And again, we might see Gabriel Moreno tonight. If you missed it earlier, Teoscar Hernandez is on the paternity list, and Gabriel Moreno will uh, be back with the team while he's on the paternity list. Zach Pop is up for Mitch White. Jay Omosago wants to know what Ryan Goins is up to. Um, Jay Omosaga, I appreciate all the texts. Sorry I didn't get to them today. Um, yeah, we didn't do a lot of text line today. We are going to get to a lot of text line tomorrow with no game to tee up. Uh, so get those questions and comments ready. Um, John Muskoka asks what's going on with Nate Pearson. Um, Nate Pearson did a rehab assignment in Dunedin on the weekend. Apparently looked pretty good through 10 pitches. Uh, was up around 97 He's got another one coming in Buffalo this week, probably. And then we'll see from there. Uh, Tim in Mount Albert corrects me from earlier saying that the sword goes into the scabbard, not the holster. I apologize. I don't think Brian Baker got his sword in a scabbard or a holster or anything else. It reminded me of always sunny in Philadelphia when Mac accidentally stabs himself in the stomach playing around with a sword. Uh, But I apologize, Tim in Mount Albert for not having the proper terminology. More about Nate Pearson from Rick and Markham. We'll do Nate Pearson stuff tomorrow. We'll do some Nate Pearson stuff tomorrow. There are also some comments in there about Brian Baker and the drama and how that's going to carry over into the night. But I think we, I think we did a good job with Ben, a good do- a job with Zach going through that. Maybe there will be more to break down tomorrow. We'll see. We'll be back in the three to five slot tomorrow. We'll have some fun guests for you, and we'll uh, we'll do more of a mailbag slash text line day tomorrow with no game to tee up. Shortly, the Jays are going to try to take three or four against the Orioles, expand that lead for the final wild card spot back to four and a half games. That's at seven oh five. Ben Wagner has a call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker have Jays talk for you post game. I owe thank you to producer JR and Derek behind the glass and to Ben Nicholson Smith for spending a whole hour with us. Zach Silver of Orioles.com as well. And thanks again to everyone who sent texts in. Sorry I didn't get to them today. I promise we will tomorrow. Uh, you've got Alec Manoa, a fired up Alec Manoa tonight. Uh, should be a blast as he goes up against six foot eight Tyler Wells. You can't teach that. Um, high rising fastball, big slider, good change up. We'll see if Bo Bichette and the Blue Jays can stay hot. We'll be back at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Talk about it with you. This has been Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy on the Sportsnet Radio Network.